What's up, Freedom Chasers? If you are afraid of the way the market is turning right now, we have the episode for you. Our guest is a HUD broker. And if you know anything about REO, those accounts are hard to lock up. And we're going to talk about how we got into there right now. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. Meet Rusty Smith with First Class Seven Cities in Chesapeake, Virginia. Rusty, we are super pumped to have you here today. You're topic is super topical right now. Everybody knows the market is changing. So let's talk about how to get into the REO industry. So a couple years back, what I did is uh, did a little bit of research and it didn't help or it did help being brokered up with uh, Ryan Finch, big, huge asset in the REO industry. So I had uh, someone to pick their brain and kind of find out some information and the points of contact and such. But what I did is I started off doing BPOs, broker price opinions, which are basically comparative market analysis, but you get paid for them. The, the cool thing is, is there's like, there's dozens of these, these companies out there. You get paid to learn how to price properties, but these are the asset managers that are going to end up listing these, these properties because there's more than just, there's more than HUD. There's the individual corporations, the banks like Bank of America, maybe Federal, USAA, everyone has the their own little system that they use to be able to list their REOs. Uh, getting into that industry and doing the BPOs, you kind of get linked up because one of the things that you, you learn that they, they do is they kind of get a couple valuations of the property whenever they list an REO, such as an individual independent appraiser goes out there. We go out there and do broker price opinions. And if you can't do a solid valuation and you don't know how to price well, then it's going to reflect in that and they're not going to want to work with you. A lot of the times when you do the broker price opinions, they kind of get a feel for you. And these same asset manager companies can actually use you to list the REOs. Now, I think the the rate in which you will get a listing from doing an uh, asset manager given BPO is probably decently low, um, but it does happen. And a lot of the companies that you work with, um, some of them require like subscriptions, like ResNet, uh, Acceleris. There's quite a few of them, but they'll open it up to allow BPOs, and they usually only give the REOs to the people that, that you work with closely. So they have the, the chance to kind of vet you, see your pricing and uh, go from there. We worked with a lot, dozens of asset managers over the years doing separate broker price opinions. And we signed up to be basically an REO agent and a BPO specialist with a lot of these people. So as we went into the memorandum and we kind of got froze up a little bit, uh, we were one of the first ones that signed up with the new asset manager. Actually, can I pause for a second? Because I'd like to dive into BPOs a little bit, or at least throw this yeah. nugget out for the audience real quick. Like BPOs are an amazing way to start off your career and start making money almost right away. I mean, yeah. in my market, you tend to make like 40 bucks to 50 bucks a BPO. You could get paid a little bit more, especially if you're in like a rural area, because I mean, you could basically set a price if there's nobody else yeah. out there willing to get the BPO. You can get paid like 200 bucks and it is one of the fastest ways to learn how to do CMAs, number one, and you could generate very consistent income with these BPOs. So anybody not doing BPOs, it's something worth thinking about. I'm in Chicago. I make typically over $10,000 a month simply with BPOs. So I just wanted to throw that out there for the audience. Like this is a business that you could start with BPOs and it could grow to REO. So continue. I apologize for interrupting you, but I, I know you're fine. It's just building off that. It's, it's definitely, it is a building block. And I don't really, 
you can't do REOs without being able to do with BPO. It's part of the process in the first place. And if you don't have that, that pricing ability to be able to price what it's actually worth, then a lot of the times they don't want to work with you in the first place. It, it kind of shows your experience in your, your field, your industry. So like you said, you, you make like 10 grand a month, you can make easily a hundred thousand dollars a year doing BPOs if you know the right people. And it allows you to have a pulse on the market. So I kind of get an idea of what the market's doing before one pops up. So if I go to sleep one night, I woke up, well, I remember when uh, 2020 happened, you know, we were going through it and all the uncertainty and such. I went to sleep one night and I woke up and I had 50 BPO orders overnight. I, I priced it up and it was like over two grand in one three-day period that I had to get turned in. I mean, it's substantial. I mean, it was a lot of money and a lot of work, but essentially you're, you're pretty much going out there and doing work from appraisal, but you don't necessarily are putting the, the jargon and the lingo in there. But you could, and just being able to do that as well makes you that much more efficient and being able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with an appraiser. It's a very lucrative skill to have financially and in just an industry in general, being able to actually communicate appraisal-wise in case you ever need to dispute anything. Um, and of course, you know, having that, that pricing ability, your listings, like it just enhances your business in general, your finances, your skill set, everything. And then, of course, it can lead into the REOs. So we were one of the first ones that were on the list for as they kind of shifted over and Rain, uh, Rain and Company got the asset manager contract for our area over in the Philadelphia region used to be Sage Acquisitions, and we were one of the first ones that got signed up with them. And of course, it, it can get oversaturated quick, very quickly, and the people that are in are in, and they're the ones that are doing them. So we need to pay attention to the contract times, who who's getting the contract, if it's extending, because you want to work with the people that are going to be getting the business. And as it shifts, <clears throat> excuse me, there's always a period in time in which the new asset managers are kind of building systems, and they're kind of learning how to accept the new business that they have. And they're really, uh, they're just a, a lawyer office essentially. And they're learning the process and how to manage so many. And especially in a time like this where the memorandum just got lifted and they're getting so much business and don't really, uh, they don't really know what to do with it. But it's, it's nice to be in that position because you can see foreclosures before they hit the market. You have the opportunity to educate uh, potential buyers that are out there. It is a huge point in which you have the ability to be a leader in your community and in your industry in that local area because you will be educating the agents as well. So the business that you get, uh, the networking, the everything, we, we've made a lot of friends. We've made a lot of, done a lot of business. We've made a lot of partnerships just by being in, in this industry now. So it's, it's worthwhile, you know, of course, getting started someplace like BPOs, uh, which will lead up to something bigger. Absolutely, man. So, I mean, especially the BPO skill set, there's so many things that compound on that. It's even more so when you're actually working for the banks, like um, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae in particular, as long as it makes sense to fix the property, they're going to. So you need to be very good at projecting what the property is worth right now, what the cost of repairs are, and what the property is worth once it's fixed, which translates extremely well into a fix and flip or an investor mindset. If you get good at generating these numbers, and guess what? They'll pay you to do it. Um, a lot of investors actually buy BPOs and they ask for the same opinion on these same things as well. Um, it's just a tremendous skill set to build. Um, but I don't want to talk about BPOs all day. Um, 
let's get more into ario so typically when you get into arios it's it's very strong networking right you need to kind of know the right people to get into ario like you had mentioned ryan finch obviously he was a power ario broker back when it was a thing um what other networking strategies would you recommend in order to help assist getting into that ario network so people could actually get those new assignments um I found it really useful, <clears throat> excuse me, to reach out to these asset managers to be able to find out who they're working with, uh, who, who exactly you need to get in contact with. You don't want to speak to one of the, the biggest problems I think that we have is we hit roadblocks. So, you know, the secretaries or the gate guardians, we want to make it past the, to the, the decision makers, the people who actually can influence the, the ability to work with them. And you, you want to give them that pitch once you get to them. So we, we build our REO resume. We kind of talk about what we have done and anything we can put on that resume is amazing. Um, not to go back to BPOs too much, but that was, that's an extremely good thing to be able to put on there. A lot of the courses that they have that are available to us to be able to put on there are great. I know that um, I have pricing strategy advisor from back when I was part of NAR. Um, we went through the National Association of Broker Price Opinion Professionals, it's a mouthful, <laughs> but they got a little course you can go through and become a certified real estate pricing specialist. And you can join that organization and have it on your resume as well. They'll actually teach you how to do a BPO from, from beginning to end. They have a whole course you go through and to be certified in that really carries some weight. Uh, the hardest part, of course, being the adjustments, like you mentioned, uh, being able to make those adjustments, be able to know where it's worth after the repairs. Those are numbers, like when they make sense and they come together and you know that it's right, it's just a, a beautiful feeling when all the puzzle pieces put together and you know it's solid. And to be able to sit down with an investor or uh, a company and be like, hey, this is what it's worth. And you make those recommendations, like we need to fix this now to call, uh, have less problems in the future. And to be able to be a problem solver instead of just telling people, well, this is the problems that you have. Being able to have these examples when you're talking to people so, for example, one of the, the biggest issues that we've had with REOs around here is working with different field managers. So the people that are responsible for clean out, the people that are responsible for uh, all the contractors that go in and take care of the property and such. So they have been rekeying properties without, all, like, without any need and we can't get access to them. So we have a locksmith on speed dial. He'll just come there and key it right there on the spot to get us back in. They will winterize the property but leave the valves open so that when we try to do our tests uh, or the, the plumbing, when they try to do the plumbing tests, they like, Hey, this, this property won't hold pressure at all. So there's pro a problem with the plumbing. So we have this huge issue where we can't close because nobody knows what to do in working with a good lender, having a, a great lender on standby. We've taken so many prospects of other agents because of our knowledge and expertise in the REO community who were working with another buyer switched to us because we, we actually had a good team put together who can get them into the property. Uh, knowledge of the different programs that they have out there, like HUD's FHA program that they have where it's uh, only $100 down and you can, that's the whole down payment. So just having that team, a lender, good contractors that you can work with and being able to make that proposal to these asset managers. You, you come with a team, it's not just you, and you come with the experience, maybe some certifications, and even if you have no experience. So when we were assigned the HUD contract in our area, we had BPOs behind us and a few certifications and that team, that's all we had. But we have successfully closed every single deal 
and, and made it happen with our, our dream team pretty much. You know, we'll meet out there with our locksmith and get our, get ourselves access again because we don't just come with, hey, we have a problem. We come with a solution in hand as well. Yeah, those property preservation teams, man, they, they could be fun to work with. Like I had a rule for a yeah. while because I don't know if you're safeguard, man. I hate safeguard. Um, so basically what I did, because, you know, you have that intro checklist every time. I failed them mm -hmm. every single time, even if it was very, very small um, on the front end, just so they knew when it was our property, they better be taking their time and they better get it right. Because they, um, I mean, it was just, it was a nut. It was just a nut house trying to do it all the time because you end up going back to the property multiple times over and over. Um, so cool. I just wanted to note that about the property preservation. And I also wanted to note with BPOs, like they score you um, on your initial value and your after repair value. Like these are very important numbers to get right because that affects your scorecard. And if your scorecard is not good, they're not going to give you a lot of REOs. Um, so I'd love to talk about your pitch a little bit. Oh, wait, I want to throw something else out there first. Um, anybody looking to get into REO, look at the REO listings that are out there and look at who owns them and then create a hit list of companies that are worth reaching out to because not every country is national or not every company is national. So find what is selling in your area, who owns it, and then find a way to reach out to them. Now let's get into how you reach out to them. So you're, are you calling them on the phone? Are you shooting them an email? Are you offering them some sort of value first? Like I know a lot of people said, hey, we'll do a free BPO for you. Um, give me anything within 30 miles of me and I'll go run to it and I'll give you a valuation. Um, what kind of things are you pitching to these asset managers? So yeah, definitely the BPO. That's a, that's a big hit for them. But essentially... We, we look for a lot of the properties, like you said, on, on tax record, who owns it. And once we find out who owns it, I pinpoint who I can speak to individually. And we want to get past the people that aren't the decision makers. So, for example, we recently secured a, a great uh, REO property. It was a, it's about a, a half, honestly a half a million dollar home that was foreclosed on. And we looked it up. It, hadn't, it was owned by a bank. We looked, we've seen the bank, found the decision maker in the bank, found the CEO, who was obviously the decision maker, and reached out to them personally and spoke with them and we listed it. So as we were talking to the, the assistant, we made a mention, it's like, hey, we have, you have an asset that is within our community that we noticed is, you're not physically close to. And, you know, going through the winter time and things like this, you of course want to have some sort of positive control over something like that, you know, pipes bursting, uh, potential rodents getting in, uh, just everything that, you know, all the, all the dangers. If you can, are not close to your asset, there's some sort of worry that you have or some sort of anxiety about it. And especially with the banks, they don't, we say asset, but they don't look at it as an asset. They look at it as a liability because it's something that they have to pay taxes on to make sure that the the city doesn't come and take the property because the city tax takes first precedence in any sort of lien. So they could auction it off for six grand and take the property and, you know, pay them whatever that they need to out of it, out of the rest of it. But they, they wouldn't take that first precedence. They would get whatever was over them first, of course. Um, homeowner insurance, you know, if, if the grass isn't being maintained, someone can trip over, they're delivering junk mail and the mailman trips uh, and they get a, a claim against them. They have to have insurance up. 
and it's money that is, has a holding cost to them. It, it's a loss of opportunity. So they could be lending that money out to somebody else and making interest on it. In the meantime, this one's just costing them money. They want to get it off of their radar. And the, the fastest way to do that is to answer someone who is, one, showing initiative, because that speaks something towards their business model. Two, they have they do have that value and they're not new. They're, they know what they're doing. And someone who you know offers that value up front. Hey, I'll, I'll go there. I can do a property condition report, tell you what's going on at the property. I can even look up, call it, if there's an HOA, I can figure out what the back taxes are, get everything straight, all your paperwork in order, and we can move forward and see what we can do by getting this listed off the market, sold, and then you can have your money back to be able to do what you need to do because the bank's priority is to collect interest, right? They don't earn it. If it's, it is a my bank, and a HUD wants to be able to get their money recouped back from when they reimburse these banks, when they foreclose on the property from having those insured loans. Everybody wants their money back. Nobody wants the property. It's a liability to all of them and it's an asset to us and we recognize its value and we help them actualize that value, put it on the market and put it in the community and someone actually can take that and, you know, better their life. So it's, we make something beautiful out of something like a distress situation. And if they can see that, then it really helps uh, make that connection for them and it makes the, the choice pretty, you know, pragmatic. Yeah, man, this is very actionable stuff. I love it. I'm going to throw an REO tip out there for the audience. And if you have another one, you could respond with one. And if not, we'll talk about the REO process a little bit more because most people probably have no idea what it is. But here's another tip. Um, I want to reiterate what you said, Rusty. Having a team is extremely important. These REO asset managers, they want to make sure that they're not going to overwhelm you with work. So having a field agent, having contractors and things of that nature, you want to make sure that they know that you're not the only one doing everything. You have people in place no matter what goes wrong. It could be a Sunday morning and the pipes burst. You can have somebody that's going to go out there. It's important that they know that you're protecting their asset. Um, another thing. Um, if you're a minority business owner, if you're a woman-owned business, if you're a veteran-owned business, a disability-owned business, they really, really look heavily at these types of things. So if you have that advantage, please use it. Do you have any other tips in regards to acquiring us REOs, or do you want to move on to the process? Definitely look into those, those minority categories. So I myself, I'm a disabled veteran. And going through, I think, SAM.gov, you can actually get that certification where you can put it in and get that status. And, you know, what's more or important to, for example, the Secretary of Veteran Affairs, if they're going to work with somebody, of course, they're going to want to give that REO contract when someone defaults on a VA loan to a veteran. So being able to get those statuses, if you have them, are, are very important. Being able to look into the process, um, very pivotal in that whole entire industry. 100% agreed. Yeah, especially the veteran, the veteran disability. First mm -hmm. off, thank you for serving. And, and I appreciate you. I feel for you, man. Um, yeah, let's talk about the process a little bit because an REO is not much like a retail listing at all. It's very task driven. It is very timeline oriented. So you could, could you give people kind of a broad overview of what that looks like um, for, you know, the layman? So of course, every asset manager does it a little bit differently, but it is a, a list of tasks and it is very, very time sensitive. So for example, you get the, the listing for HUD and you have four hours to accept. 
and they can reassign it during that time. You have one day to go there and do your initial inspection, take photos, and document everything that's going on with the property and get it there. If it's not done within that one day, then they will take it and reassign it to somebody that can get it accomplished faster. And they have, of course, their people that they answer to, so it's not really something that's able to be compromised. Um, and you're, you're struggling against other components as well, like, for example, the locks on the door. Like, you have to get the key made. Um, if the key has to be right, you have to have a locksmith that you trust to get in there. And then when you're going through, you have to document all the repairs that need to be done. Um, and then when you're doing your inspection, they're, they're going to ask you, like, hey, are there anything that you would recommend fixing to be able to make it as marketable as other properties in the area, for example? Three days to get that initial BPO in. Uh, so you, you do, they give you some uh, about as much time as all other BPOs. You get about three days. So when you get that, you are able to look at the market, analyze, and actually put a good report together and be able to give it to them. Then once they have that, they get the appraiser to come in so that they can independently have a second evaluation to be able to hold your evaluation too. And the most ideal situation is you all know, list it at the same price. So we, I know in our relationship, we the first one that we ever did together, the appraiser said something significantly lower than what I did. So when it sold for what I said it was worth and the bidding ran it up to the price that I had, and then the second appraiser appraised it there, then they, my valuation started carrying more weight and we've started listing at what I've said it would be worth. That or the other appraisers that they're using are right on point with me now. So one or the other. Um, moving, you want to make uh, good friends with the, the asset manager, the, the team that they're working with on their end because they're going to be having requests for you. You're going to be going back and forth. Uh, you're, you're doing routine maintenance inspections when you're going out there. When you eventually do list it, put on, on MLS, everything has to be timely. There are certain restrictions that go in there and you have to make sure that you are now an educator of other agents as well. So when you're putting it on there, you have to say like, uh, for example, HUD exempt from all disclosures. And we fight every agent, it seems like, and every lender on this, like they just don't, they don't understand. So we actually had a lender fight us and say that we needed to get an FHA mandatory clause signed by HUD. And the asset manager came back and said they're exempt from it. One of the means being that why would they need to sign an amendment on a program that they're over when obviously that they take precedence. So they, they're very adamant. They don't, they don't do any disclosures. They don't give you anything. So you need to make sure that you vet that through MLS. When you're in there, uh, for example, if you list a property that's in a condo association without a condo doc, you're going to get fined if you don't take the right precautions. If you don't talk to your, the listing department there and see what they need to do. For example, R says, just put an empty condo disclosure in there. Don't even sign it or anything because it's not part of the contract. We don't use any MLS docs in it at all. HUD generates, and most of these places generate their own contracts and use their own paperwork moving forward on everything. Um, that everybody gets their own due diligence period and that everyone understands that it's sold as is, that they, if they choose to make repairs, they do, but it's still being sold as is that if any repairs need to be done, that the responsibility of the buyer, no matter what, even if it's a required repair that has to be done per the appraiser, they have to put it in some sort of repair escrow. So working with a, a good title agency that understands how to set one up and a good lender is, is really important in this. Uh, I know that a lot of appraisers and a lot of lenders, and a lot of agents don't have experience in this. So you need to be well-read in the process of closing on one and, and how repair escrow works. 
very educated in it because I have had to educate a lender on the process of getting this done based on my past experiences. So uh, just pretty much being on point with that process, you just, you're following up and just being the point of contact for everybody other than the routine maintenance checkups and you know, reporting anything that any, like one, one time we had somebody break in and uh, eat a dinner in one of the foreclosures and, and left food there. So we had to report the break in and that you know, there was a potential person who had access coming in and out and to see what they wanted to do, change the locks and such. But that's why we're around. Absolutely. I'm going to double tap something you said towards the beginning. If you're working with REOs, remove the word mold from your vocabulary, unless you happen to be licensed to diagnose mold. Use the word discoloration. Um, <laughs> you will literally get fired from Fannie Mae if you put mold on anything. Um, they do not mess around with that. Um, you are so right. Timelines are so important, especially managing contract to close. This is also something most people don't realize. These REO asset managers tend to get bonuses based on how many closings they get per month. So if you happen to push a closing past the 31st and into the first of the next month, they often get very upset about that. So you have to be a little bit more hands-on with the lender on the other side to make sure that things hit their timelines. Because again, Everything you do affects your scorecard, and the higher you keep that scorecard, um, the more assets you're going to get assigned to you. Cool, man. Anything else you want to discuss about the REO process in general? Um, I mean, that's, that's really it. It's uh, hard to break in, and once you get there, it's, it's pretty solid. It's just being able to find that route in. Like I said, it, you, most people make their own way in, but you know, the way I did it was uh, through building that relationship and networking with the asset managers in the first place. Very cool, man. Anybody listening, if they wanted to get in touch with Mr. Rusty Smith, what would be the best way for them to do so? Uh, you can shoot me an email at rusty.smith at firstclassagents.com. Uh, one ST and agents is plural. We'll write it down for you. I remember putting that one yeah, out there. It gets, it gets confusing. It is certainly a mouthful. Um, Rusty Smith, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Um, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. Talking REO with us. This is super topical right now. And um, to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. I'm going to give you an assignment. Look up the REOs in your neighborhood today and find out who's selling in your area. Write down the bank names and start doing some digging to figure out who you need to talk to in order to start and establish these relationships. Um, please do so within the next seven days. Tell somebody you know that can help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.